There's no other industry like it, I think, in that we are all in it together. We all understand that it's friggin' hard. We work our asses off um, and the least we can do is care for each other. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Taking the plunge and opening your own restaurant is often much more challenging than many realise. What drives someone to step out on their own and how does that experience help shape their approach to their craft? Josh Gregory is the chef and owner of Thermidor Oyster Bar and Brasserie in Newcastle, New South Wales. Josh, how are you? I'm so well, mate. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to get you on the show. You've taken the plunge moving from head chef to your own venue. What's, what's it been like? Uh, really stressful uh, <laughs> is in a short summary, but um, I think that we sort of got to a point where my wife and I, who is going to run the venue as well as the uh, owner operator, is um, we hit this kind of point where we were like, okay, what is the next step for us? Um, what does the next sort of five, 10 years look like for us? And we realized that ultimately becoming restaurateurs was the, was the end goal um, and creating, sort of creating this space and idea where we can set our own rules and kind of forge our own path within the industry. Why did you settle on Newcastle? Newcastle's home for us. Um, so we always knew, despite having sort of travelled all over the world and worked in a whole bunch of different places, um, we knew that we would eventually come home. And I think the dining scene in Newcastle, in the Hunter Valley as a whole, is just this kind of beautiful, eclectic sort of mix of different chefs and different levels of dining and i just really think that we can slot nicely into the scene down here yeah it's definitely um such an exciting evolving sort of region in regards to food at the moment tell us about the name of the restaurant and sort of what you're creating there so thermidor um really well we threw around a lot of different names to be honest um the names were very tricky and um we went through a whole bunch of French words and we were like, God, that just sounds so wanky and pretentious. Um, so then we ended up, so we just really had to think about what did we want it to say? What did we want it to encompass? And like the idea of Thermidor or the dish lobster Thermidor really sort of stood out because it served to kings and queens and it served to peasants. And that's the, that's sort of the, the focus of what we're doing here. I don't want that sort of, I want to break down those walls of the dining scene in that stiff and stuffy. I just don't think the diner now is that is looking for that so much anymore. I think it's more about genuine connection and true hospitality. You've worked at some pretty incredible venues, which we'll get into shortly, but uh, will Thermidor be a sort of a plunge into the world of seafood or are you going to sort of veer towards more brasserie with everything? I think definitely more brasserie sort of style. The, the style of food, what I'm cooking, or what I'm calling it is um, modern coastal inspired by the great coastlines of the world. And that's sort of what I want. I want that. We're right on the water. The venue's really spectacular. And I just want that feel of, 
you know, when you're walking in, when you're walking in Spain and you get off the little market streets and you sit down at a bar and you have oysters and you have all the beautiful fresh seafood and produce, or you're in the bustling streets of Paris and you walk into a little bistro and you have steak frites, like those food memories for me are really a big part of what we're doing and the, the vibe that we're trying to create. Location is such an important factor when opening a restaurant. This is your first venue. Tell us about the day when you found the venue and knew it was the right one. So, bit of a bit of a long story, but we kind of we'd been looking at venues for a little while. We had we had this really strong idea in mind for such a long time. And if ten years ago, you know, you'd have asked me what sort of restaurant you were going to open, I would have been, I want top 50 top 50 in the world i want all the fine i want all the bells and whistles i want all of that and then we sort of had a venue come up that was very grand very ornate um a beautiful old uh post office building that was yeah really stunning and we sort of threw our hearts into a lot of that and it ended up falling through um and then we had looked at this venue in honeysuckle previously uh it was right on the water it had great sort of setup, but because it didn't feel like what we'd imagined, we sort of overlooked it. And then when the venue for the big formal fine dining restaurant fell through, we, Jess, my wife and I sort of th- thought about, well, what do we really want? And ultimately what we really want to be is restaurateurs. And we sort of changed our idea and changed our way of thinking around it in saying like, we can do all of the beautiful things of fine dining of fine dining service. We can use all of the incredible produce. We can do everything that we commit to that we've learned over the years of being in the industry. But we can put it into something that's not only approachable from a price perspective, but approachable from a dining perspective where people feel comfortable, where they feel genuinely welcomed. And then um, yeah, so the venue that we'd found was, yeah, oozed this character. It was right on the water. It was sort of everything that we were like, okay, this is this is a venue that we can work with. It's got really beautiful charm. It's got lots of character. And we knew that we wanted to do some seafood. We knew we wanted to focus around the great coastlines of the world and channel that sort of brasserie idea that we're opening a restaurant for everyone. If you want to come in and spend $15, you can come in and spend $15. If you want to come in and spend 300, you can do that as well. That's that's the idea. What surprised you about uh, creating and opening your very first venue and doing it with your um, partner as well, Jess? Look, I think what's it was a massively steep learning curve initially because we had run venues for other people so many times and we'd set up restaurants for other people and we knew sort of the processes involved. We knew how to apply for liquor license. We knew all of those things. But then when it came to actually doing it for yourself and realizing, wow, I, I don't know how to I don't know how to install a bar. I don't know how to install a dishwasher. I don't know how, like, I didn't know any sort of thing about that aspect. And because we're doing it ourselves, that really opened our eyes to, okay, we've got to get this done. So there's lots of, there's lots of YouTube learning videos and learning how to grind concrete floors and epoxy and those sorts of things, because I am in no way a tradie, mate. (laughs) I want to explore sort of what you're doing there at Thermidor and 
greater detail shortly, but take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? <laughs> so I definitely would love to say that I grew up under grandma's kitchen table and, you know, went foraging for wild berries and those sorts of things. But honestly, food for me, um, I grew up on scrambled eggs from probably naught to age 10 every meal. Not that there's like not that there's anything wrong with a good scrambled egg, Anthony, but um, yeah, I was very much a plain eater, um, and I think food really didn't come into my life until I was a little bit older. I fell sort of into kitchens at fifteen. Um, I was working at a really sort of busy seafood restaurant, and uh, growing up, I grew up in like small country town. I grew up in Brankston. Um, I went to high school in Singleton. I was a skinny emo kid that loves heavy metal. I didn't fit in in any way. Um, So I guess the community that I found within the kitchen, I was like, wow, these guys are like rock stars. They were everything that I wanted to be. So then I was like, shit, I really need to fit in. I better just, I better just eat absolutely everything because otherwise they're going to put shit on me. They're not going to think I'm cool. And yeah, that's sort of where it, that's really where it began for me. So, you know, like eating your first oyster at 15 and trying not to gag because you don't want the chefs to think think you're weak um, is really sort of where my journey down this beautiful rabbit hole uh, started. Well, you've worked at some pretty incredible restaurants. Take take us through sort of who's, who's been a, you know, sort of a really key influence on you as you started to build your career. As I started to build my career, I think I am so incredibly lucky and grateful that I had the guts to walk into Muse Restaurant uh, at sort of the tender age of 18, thinking that I had every understanding and I I love to read. So I've read a billion cookbooks and I thought I knew it all. And I walked into Troy Rhodes Brown's kitchen and um, realized that I didn't know anything at all (laughs) very quickly. And um, he was such a gentle yet firm guiding hand for me and in the way that he is so calm and so collected in everything that he does. Um, he really instilled in me this sense of if you're going to do something, do it 100% and do it with pride in everything that you do, which he is a living embodiment of. Um, I think he was really my first mentor and took me into the world of this hospitality tapestry that is laid out in front of every young chef is really yours to create and yours to follow and he really set that in me if you want to if you want to go and do it then go and do it there's no excuse like um that's the yeah that was really the kicking off point for me and then learning about all of the restaurants and fine dining and all of the things that i you know, at 18, 19 as a young chef, the first time you pick up the Noma book and you're just flipping through all the first time I read Fat Duck and yeah, it just can like, it's like food porn, you know, you just don't, yeah, you don't have, um, when you're young like that and when you want, when you're really passionate about something, I was like, God, I can't believe that this is real. <laughs> 
at a, at a young age, you um, won the Brett Graham Scholarship uh, in the Hunter there. Well, tell us about that experience and the impact it had on you. Yeah, so going into that competition, again, a competition that Troy himself had won, that he uh, really pushes all of his chefs to attempt. Um, I've always been very competitive. I like to win. Uh, I definitely, I've had a lot more losses than I've had wins, but I definitely enjoy the wins. Um, I think that going into that competition for me really was, and, you know, being successful, uh, gave me a sense of belief in myself that I, that maybe I could do anything and maybe I could do this. Um, I don't think food and cookery, I've always, you know, falling into the world, I loved food and I'm utterly obsessed with dining and restaurants and all of the chefs, but I'm not a particularly natural cook. Uh, Cooking is a very learned skill for me. I I, I look at people like Troy and some of the chefs that I've worked with and worked for uh, that are very natural. They have a beautiful touch with food. That was something that I had to learn. So, and it's something I still continue to learn every day. I definitely, uh, yeah, I definitely think that that's a part of, really a part of who I am uh, in terms of a chef. And winning that competition really sort of gave me the confidence to go, actually, wow, I might be, I might be okay at this. Winning that uh, scholarship saw you head overseas. Tell us about your experiences. So it kicked off a massive journey for uh, my wife and I around the world. Uh, We started in America and we traveled and we wrote ourselves a a dining bucket list and restaurants that we wanted to visit and we did as many of them as we possibly could. Um, We took our bank loans and did whatever we had to do. We spent all of our money on credit cards, whatever we – it was all about really building that Met those memories and that flavor bank um, and that understanding of, okay, this is what a Michelin starred restaurant looks like. We like, this is what, this is the goal. This is the goalpost. And every time we dined and every time we ate or every time we just enjoyed food, uh, it really cemented, okay, this is what we're going to do down the track. This is what we might use. And now like looking back on those, I realized that, yeah, that journey um, was really fundamental in building what we're building now because I think the best way to understand any person or any culture is to eat their food. Is there any standout experience or um, story from those travels that you had overseas you can share? Yeah, no doubt. The um, oh, dinner at Favakin, um in the middle of yeah, in the middle of nowhere, um, going there. And staying the night at the farmhouse and meeting Magnus, um, Magnus walked out of the kitchen just covered head to toe in blood where he'd just been butchering a deer. And I saw the colour just drain from my wife's face um, as this kind of softly spoken Viking came out to us to greet us for dinner and um, took us through the kitchen. And then we had our, you know, we had a most incredible experience there they you know i don't need to tell you they only do 12 people a night so we were actually on their busiest service ever at 14 covers and um we we enjoyed the meal and the chefs come out at the end of the experience and we're sitting and we're having a drink and uh one of the waiters just came over to us and said you guys are from australia aren't you and we said yeah and he said oh 
why don't you just come outside and he grabbed these big giant fur coats and put them around us and he took us out onto these chairs poured us a scotch out in the snowy nighttime air and we looked above and the northern lights were on um it was yeah it was one of the most memorable things one of the most memorable moments for me in that that waiter thought he they're from australia they will have never seen this i'm going to make their night and that's really that's the impact for me that's what i want to do for people i just want to make their i just want to make their day did did you come back different after this this trip as a different a focus or approach yeah absolutely i really came back um when we were in london and i was at the ledbury i i really gained an understanding of what it takes to chase perfection and what it takes every day and that it is so enormous and all-consuming and the pressure is so immense but there's also this incredible sense of camaraderie um the brotherhood that you develop within kitchens is just indescribable i think i i was at the ledbury uh at 21 and i was just way too young to understand that kitchen and understand and i look back on god i look back and cringe because i was so useless honestly <laughs> um, yeah i uh, i think yeah i think brett graham just stuffed me in the corner to put me on the snack section just to get me out of the road because i just was constantly in awe of these people and there were chefs you know i i thought i'm from muse restaurant i was i was the dog's bollocks i just won a competition to get over here and you know, I was standing next to a chef at 17 who'd done the majority of his the majority of his trade at per se in the French Laundry, and he kicked my ass every day. Um, and I just thought, wow, uh, that was a really eye-opening experience because I think truly there's nothing more humbling than stepping into the kitchen because you go, wow, these jobs are learned skills, and there are people that are constantly going to be better than you and constantly so that gives that gives you this sense of drive of like okay i've got people to chase and i think about that every day what did you do when you got back to australia when we came home um we were really focused uh on restaurant and everything that we wanted and we were like okay this is what we're going to do now and honestly we were so foolish because we had no money we had no no idea and um it was then I went to a wine event where uh, James Viles was doing a demo of one of the dishes from Biota, and Jess and I had, uh, you know, we dined at Noma while we were away. So, and I was, I was just so enraptured by Rene Rezepi and everything that he did, especially, you know, as a young chef when you're like, oh yeah, we forage for berries, we pick oyster leaves and we do all of this fermentation. And that's, that's wild when you're a young chef. Um, and then when I met James, he sort of really embodies this food is from nature and nature is perfect in its imperfection. And I, I fell in love with that ideology and I really, I said to Jessica after meeting him just once, I said, we have to, we have to go there. I have to, I have to work for him. Um, which then was, yeah, that was kicked off, you know, four years of my life that really shaped who I am as a chef. 
What was it like living in the Southern Highlands and and working in that kitchen and the connection to nature? Do you have any stories of those times? Yeah, def- like definitely. I think um, James's true talent lies in his commitment to his ethos, um, and that extends to every single thing that he does in that kitchen. You know, if you finish up service at midnight and you need samphire, you're driving to the beach at 1am and you're picking samphire because that's what you do. And everything that is kind of that push and that drive to go, okay, what we're going to do is establish a true connection to nature. We're going to go out into the forest and we're going to go out every morning. And it doesn't matter that it's minus seven degrees in barrel. We're going to go into the Belangolo forest and we're going to forage for mushrooms because that's what we're going to serve today. And that kind of commitment to produce and he's got such a great commitment to process, which I had never really learned before because you know, when you're a chef, you think, okay, I've got, I've got ingredients and I need to turn them into something beautiful. But the way that James looks at things is you've got a leak and that leak takes eight weeks to grow and you will screw that leak up in eight seconds if you don't take care of it. So that really changed my ideology and my ideas about not just commitment to food and commitment to produce, because I think it's very easy to say, oh, I'm really interested in farm to table. But what I'm really interested in is how can I represent grower? How can I represent the people that are truly grafting just to get these ingredients to us? How do we, how do we do that? And that really made a massive impact on me, mostly because as a chef, you just think you, you just take ingredients for granted and you don't realize, you know, like a carrot is equally as beautiful as caviar if you treat it properly. You've spent a lot of your career in the Hunter Valley and uh, you returned there um, back in 2016. T- tell us about sort of your experiences after you had all of that sort of skill and knowledge sort of uh, through your career. So coming home after Biota, um, I was a completely different chef. That kitchen was intense is the word that I would use, mostly because James has a strict idea of what his vision should be. And you when you're in that, when you're in that, you are completely in that. And it does and it takes every part of you to to really focus on doing what he wants to do. And I think it was part of the reason that Biota was so successful and so, you know, burned so fastly. Um, I think that coming home after that, I was myself a very intense chef. Um, I took my job very, very seriously. And not that I don't take it seriously now, but I took it seriously in a way that almost become toxic for me, to be honest. Um, I think it's very easy when, and I was still, I was still young, you know, I was 25 and I was, I finished up and I was a senior chef at Biota then and I was in charge of people and I come home and I knew that I was going to go and work with Frank and he'd offered me head chef and those sorts of things. And I thought that because I'd worked in these places, because I'd had these experience, I felt that I had to be that super intense, aggressive chef that is the stereotypical idea of a chef, um, which now looking back, I realized, God, all I did was stress out a lot of people, 
burn a lot of chefs, um, shout a lot. And that re- that sort of part of me, uh, I've been doing, well, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to control the, trying to control the devil within. Um, and then we came back to EXP and uh, I worked with Frank. Frank was actually my sous chef at um, Muse restaurant when I was training. Uh, he went and opened his own restaurant. He had built this kind of creative sort of space where we had this, you know, we were best friends and we were able to create just limitlessly um, whatever we wanted to do. That's what we did. And if we saw what top 50 restaurants were doing, we, we would try and emulate that. And we built this kind of pressure cooker of a restaurant that I, I loved working in. Tell us about how you recognized that you needed to change yourself and your approach to running a kitchen and and how you managed to do that? I think that that came to me a lot later, sort of after I'd finished, after uh, towards the back end of my time at EXP, I was head chef. I was really, really angry every day, um, mostly because I felt that that was the way that I had to get my point across because we built this idea of we can do everything. We can do everything for our guests and we can do everything for the customers. So we should. And then, you know, when you have kind of freedom to do whatever you want and Frank was like, was so gracious in giving me so much control over his restaurant, over his food, you know, uh, that's, that power is a pretty heady tonic. Um, and I think that I realized, okay, we're burning through chefs and this was Biota as well. We're burning through a lot of chefs. We're seeing good staff come through, but because they're not as, they're not as into it as us or they're not as intense, then they're not like us. So forget them and move on. Instead, now I look for, okay, this is a learned skill and I have to constantly remind myself that, yeah, I I had to learn how to do this. So it's my responsibility now to create an environment and create a space where I can let people perform at their best instead of, and some people's best looks very different to other people's best. And learning that was a big change for me. You made a move to work with uh, Megan Rhodes Brown in in the Hunter as well. Do you have any stories of um, the impact that she had and that venue had on you? Yeah, absolutely. Megan um, really gave me a shot. I'd finished at EXP and I thought that I was ready to open my restaurant. Um, you know, we had a whole other. Jessica and I, uh, we had a whole other idea of what we were going to do and we were looking at venues in the Hunter Valley and we were looking at venues sort of everywhere and it was just, we're going to open, we're going to open, we're going to open. And then again, too young and no sort of understanding of what opening a restaurant entails. And, you know, I'm 33 and I still have no idea what opening a restaurant entails. I'm figuring it out as I go. Um, But at sort of 28, um, yeah, I... I had finished at EXP and I'd, Megan had sort of contacted me and said, oh, I've just had my head chef finish up. I don't know if it was something that you'd be interested in. And then I sort of thought about it and realized the best years of my career were in the Muse family. They treat their staff incredibly um, and really allow them room to grow. And Meg's uh, 
yes, took me on and um, gave me full control, let me do whatever I wanted, hire whoever I wanted. And that um, really cemented for me this idea of, wow, I feel like I've come full circle. You know, I opened that kitchen with Muse Kitchen um, with Troy as an apprentice. I remember being in there while we were still cooking brunch and, you know, I could barely cook toast, let alone um, what I do now. Um, And I think there was this kind of sense of completion for me and I knew that, okay, this is going to allow me to sort of close my chapter and then maybe I I will be ready for the next thing. So then when I took over as head chef, I built a I built a team. Um, we had, yeah, we had incredible chefs, incredible chefs that come and go throughout, as all kitchens do. Um, but Meg's really uh, allowed me to find myself and find my own management style. She's very gentle in the way that she guides people uh, and in the way that she creates an environment for people to succeed. And I think that really impacted me because I thought, wow, like if somebody's willing to give me a shot, then the least I can do is give other people a shot. You've uh, worked a, um, a lot of your career with your wife, Jess, and she's a, you know, one of the front of house professionals. Um, what's it like for you to creating this venue together and how does, how does it work to sort of get the best out of both of you and the, the new venue as well? I think because we have been together in this industry for so long, we both have very clear understandings of what we want and what we feel is a genuine representation of hospitality. And I think that Jessica's incredible at her job and um, she has such a beautiful nature with guests and an understanding of we've set this, we've set out our mantra for the business is above and beyond and that's what we sort of have always tried to encompass if we can if we can go above and beyond if we can make your day then that's what we want to do um and that is the driving force i guess behind creating this venue uh everything that we do everything that we've seen we're kind of cherry picking from things that we picked up in the best restaurants or things that we picked up in little street eateries um I think that there's, that's what, yeah, that's what the journey is about. And it's only really that we've come to this point that we go, okay, now we have a venue and now we have an, an, a space we can really start to tell our story to people. And I don't think that I was until now was really in a position where I had an understanding of myself enough to want to put that out there to people. At the top of the show, we, we, briefly talked about the challenges in opening your first restaurant, but what, what are you enjoying about this process? The process I'm really enjoying, to be honest, is is the process. I'm learning so much in that I, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm deluded myself into thinking that this would be not easy, but easier than it is. <laughs> um, and I think that the the process of, you know, picking restaurant colors and arguing about menu design and, you know, trying to figure out how to build the website and what we're going to do with the kitchen. Designing the kitchen, I knew, you know, Jess, Jess left me alone to that, which was lovely. Um, and the front of house, you know, when it came to, when it came to choosing paint colors, I sort of chose, I opted for silence rather than <laughs> expressing my opinions. But I think that 
what we're what we're building together has has given us these yeah has given us these challenges and a chance to work through them together so that's that's sort of what I'm enjoying about it I'm also enjoying we're right on the water we're right on the boardwalk people walk by every single hour just so many people come past that are excited that there's this new venue coming along and you know having a chance to chat with people and introduce myself as the owner before I've even shown the space or the space is even built, you know, I'm in there, I'm in there painting walls. I'm not doing anything exciting. Um, I think that's, that's lovely because I want to, the restaurant that we want to open is, is for the community. It's what, I think it's what the Newcastle scene needs. I think it's what people are screaming out for. And I just, yeah, I, I want it to feel as if you were coming into our house for dinner and that's, so establishing that connection with people is is the process that I'm really enjoying at the moment. How far off are you from opening and how's it going to feel when you swing the doors open finally? <sighs> I'm I'm ready. We're we're pushing for we're pushing for September. Um, kitchen install starts for us next week and um, there's kind of all that we're we're sort of at the tipping point where we've started so many jobs and they're all kind of starting to snowball and finish. So kitchen install starts and then furniture arrives and we finish the last of the painting and then build the bar and there's a lot of there's still so much to do. But yeah, if we can open in September, I'll be I'll be ready. So what I really want when we open the doors is to just welcome people and sh- and I'm excited to show them through the space. I want them to come and enjoy. And I think that post-COVID dining, um, there's this sense now of graciousness and uh, a sense of we are so grateful that you are here and so grateful that you have chosen to spend your money with us. And I think for the diner, that is a new experience because for so long, I think a lot of venues were, okay, we're busy all the time and we're, yes, we're lucky and we're happy that we're happy that you're here. But now I think so much more that sense of genuine connection and that feeling of come in, let me show you what I love to do. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Well, Josh, it's a pretty exciting period of time for you and Jess and very much looking forward to what you're doing there. What do you love about what you do? God, it's a it's a massive question, but um, what I love has changed so much. What I loved when I was young, I loved the pressure, and I loved the I loved the camaraderie and the banter and the shit talking and everything that goes with being a kitchen. You know, reading Kitchen Confidential, and I was you know I wanted to be a rock star. I've always said like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be two things: a rock star or a wizard, and as a chef, I feel like I kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, I think now I look at what I love is the industry as a whole and this beautiful sense of community that all of us share, whether we are, you know, from people who wash dishes and in local cafes to the best chefs in the world. The fact that the fact that I can go on Instagram and contact one of the best chefs in the world and they, they send you something back or they smile or just is this beautiful connection between, and there's no other industry like it. I think in that we are all in it together. We all understand that it's frigging hard. We work our asses off. Um, and the least we can do is care for each other. I think that is, the thing that I love the most. Um, and you know, now cooking for me has really shaped so much of my personality and so much of who I am. And what I really love 
about that is it gives me an opportunity to now show the next generation of chefs and let me show them what I was shown and what I believe in now and what I think makes a good chef. I just really want them to, yeah, be able to grow and be able to learn and feel supported. And I'm enjoying that a lot more now. Well, Josh, uh, very much looking forward to seeing what you do there at Thermador and an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today. Um, please keep in touch and look forward to catching up again soon. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Anthony. It's been great. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.